Hey, Brave Soul. Welcome back to Brave Mode Studios, the podcast. You are listening to the last episode of season one. Can you believe it? Oh my goodness. Thank you so much to everyone who has been rocking with us since the beginning. This season, we've had the honor and the complete privilege to talk with some super inspiring guests about the truth around their career journeys in the fashion industry. And so I want to wrap this season with a little therapy, all right? Because see, you know, despite all the success that our our guests have had, they never neglected to mention just how tough working in the fashion industry can be. So we're going to wrap the season with a little therapy session, okay? And some practical info to help you navigate not only the fashion industry, but specifically toxic work environments within the fashion industry. So today, we've got a licensed therapist on the show who is going to give us three indicators of a toxic workplace and three strategies for navigating and or exiting said workplace, okay? Because sometimes it's not about staying there, it really is time to go. So if you have found yourself in a toxic workplace in any industry for that matter, this is a great time to go ahead and get that pen and pad out, all right? All the way from Charlotte, North Carolina, please welcome our brilliant guest today, licensed therapist, Miss Brittany Vanterpool. Hi, Brittany. Hi, how are you? I'm fantastic. How are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. Thank you. Good. I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. Uh, everyone, this uh, is my sister, my big sister, and also probably my favorite therapist because I'm a little biased. Um, but nonetheless, she is, she's got a lot of gems for us today as we're talking about overcoming toxic work environments. So, Brittany, if you could just give us a little intro as to who you are, your backgrounds, um, what interests, you know, how'd you, you know, started your career in, um, in therapy, and then we'll jump into the toxic work environment conversation. Yeah. So, um, I have actually two licenses. I'm a licensed school counselor. Um, that's what I do full time. Um, I worked in a middle school for about seven school years and, um, now or six rather. And now I'm at a high school. Um, and in, I started doing that in 2014 when I finished graduate school and the program that I did allowed me to earn my master's in school counseling and also get, um, the certification that I needed to take an exam to become a licensed clinical mental health counselor. Um, so that is, you know, the therapist with the glasses, um, you know, having you sit on the couch and whatnot. So I started doing that around 2016, um, you know, in the evenings or, um, on the weekends. And I have been doing that since then. Um, so right now I work at a small private practice out here in Concord, North Carolina. So I do school counseling during the day with high schoolers. And then I do, um, individual therapy. I work mostly with adolescents and young adults. Um, or um, millennials, real call. Um, the type of therapy that I do, it's called cognitive behavioral therapy. Long story short, um, it's a very um, kind of team-oriented talk therapy. Um, so I kind of team up with the client and we work together to identify the pattern in our thoughts, feelings, and actions that we have on a daily basis just in response to life. Um, so it's a really practical way to understand why we think the way we do, why we feel the way we do, and why we keep doing some of the same things we keep doing. 
Um, and it works really well with things like anxiety, um, depression, and then just like the day-to-day stressors of, of life. Um, once we kind of understand all those different things that are going on, then we can identify coping strategies. So I know a lot of times we're familiar with stuff like self-care and like use my coping skills. Um, and then you're like, this doesn't work for me. Well, that's probably because you aren't sure exactly the way your mind works or the, what you really respond to. So we do the CBT first to help you understand how your mind works and what your triggers are what actually makes you feel anxious and gets you upset so we can be more intentional about our coping strategies. And then of course, just identifying like better ways to manage those situations when triggers come around. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's work that I really enjoy. Um, School counseling is much different. It's completely different type of counseling altogether. Um, High school counseling, especially we do more of the academic advising and um, planning for after high school career, that kind of stuff. Um, So it's, Um, an interesting day going from the school to the office. Um, But I think it hits both parts of my personality. So it's, it's a good, a good mix of the two. Um, So yeah, that's my career. Awesome. That's, you can tell you're passionate about it. You can break it down so effortlessly, but it's also so extremely detailed. Um, I love that the fact that you particularly work with millennials uh, and the young people, Um, because with our topic today about toxic work environments, especially toxic fashion work environments, um, a lot of young people are eager to get into the industry and take the jobs that they can get, get that first job. But it's, it's, you know, the fashion industry is notorious for being extremely toxic. Um, Neverwell's Prada is that movie that everybody knows that is pretty accurate as to how some work environments can be in the fashion industry. So um, the fact that you're, you work with young people all the time makes this really relevant. Um, so I'm excited for us to kind of break everything down today, um, identify what a toxic work environment is, and then how to navigate said work environment. Um, so is, uh, let's, let's jump to the, the, next, the first thing. Let's just jump right in. Let's talk about what is a toxic work environment? How do you identify a toxic work environment? Let's get three indicators. Okay. Um, So one of the first indicators that comes to my mind is related to boundaries. So when we hear the word toxic, especially like a toxic friend, usually they are overstepping some kind of boundary and their lack of taking the responsibility for that. And so the same with the work environment. Usually you might find that being more specific to a lack of boundary in your job description and your job role. Um, because it can come off as being a team player, right? Um, the team leads or the managers or even your um, team members, like asking you to do things that are outside of your job description, outside of your role, or giving you super tight deadlines for something that just seemed very unrealistic, um, but puts you in a bind of having to really crank this thing out. Um, and the uh, indicator that that's toxic versus team playership, of course, is how often it's happening, the lack of appreciation or the lack of reciprocity in that type of situation. And then of course, it's constantly just pushing you to a space that's outside of what your role is. Um, That's great that you said that because I know I've been in that exact position before where like there's one thing if the job itself already is just kind of demanding just in 
in and of itself, just the task, you know, is kind of demanding and you're going to have some natural deadlines. Like say you're working for a magazine publication, like you're going to have deadlines, you know, but what I've experienced is I've been, I get, I'm given the task, but there's no support around it. Like, it's like, if you you are going to fail the entire team, the entire process, if you don't do this, it's all on you. Although there's an entire team around you that really should be pitching in. It's really almost kind of putting you in a bind, like waiting for you to fail um, and like testing you constantly to see if you're really going to meet some test that they've created for you, which really isn't a part of your actual job. And that almost makes it harder for you to do the job, which then makes you look more incompetent. <laughs> and uh, it's almost like, are they doing this on purpose? <laughs> what is this? Exactly. Uh, so that's, I, boundaries is a huge thing and knowing when to communicate. Is that what you mean? Like when you know that your boundaries are being overcrossed, being crossed, how do you communicate that in that type of environment? Right. Um, well, it's toxic if you feel like you can't, like if you feel like you're trying to explain that to your leader or your members and their response is like, well, somebody has to do it or like just get it done or whatever the case is or oh, well, um, because it leaves you confused as to like, well, what really is my role and will I get penalized for not like trying to help? And then, of course, well, how do I get the stuff done that I'm actually supposed to do, you know? Um, so to your question, a way to, to present that is saying just that, you know, you know, helping out for a few things here and there. And then once you realize it's become a pattern, some things that I've always done is kind of just try to go back to, um, to whatever the role is defined as or whatever the handbook says or whatever the case is. So a prime example is like, um, okay. At the school setting, I can speak from my personal experience. Um, within a school, there's tons of, of folks around, tons of things going on. And sometimes school counselors are asked to do things that are outside of our role because we don't have a classroom of teachers. Um, so in those cases, for my department, I've had to go back to, we have a Ask a America's School Counseling Association. And I go back to those standards when I reach out to the principals and say, according to the ASCA standards, these role, you know, these jobs or these activities are not part of our standards and get in the way of us being able to serve students in X, Y, and Z way. So in the fashion industry, for example, whatever your job title was or whatever you agreed to, or however the situation is designed, going back to that lead person and describing like, this is what I've been asked and this doesn't exactly align with what I was hired to do or with the production or, you know, and maybe you can elaborate a little bit more on type, the right type or verbiage in that situation, but just going back to whatever the standard has been explained to you. Um, and if it hasn't, for example, which happens very often sometimes in these um, roles, especially because there's so many different people on a set, right? Um, and you're told that, oh, I'm a X, Y, and Z thing. You're kind of great. Um, so asking for that, you know, saying what exactly is a, is there a list of duties that I'm responsible for? I'd love to be able to best help. Like, what are those responsibilities that I'm, I'm over? Um, I really like that you said that because, um, the thing when, it, you know, there's one thing, if you're working for say a large corporate company that is, is, you know, in the fashion industry, whether, that, whether that's a, a large, um, publication, like, like a Condé Nast or a Hearst, um, or maybe like a corporate retail or something like that. But if you, especially if you're a freelancer, uh, if you're working on 
several different sets with several different people at any given time, there is no handbook anywhere. <laughs> there's nothing, mm-hmm. there's nothing for right. you to rely on. So um, a lot of stuff can go down and you be kind of unprotected. So, I mean, sometimes you have, um, you can be a part of the union, but usually that's for television production. That's usually not for, you know, if you're like a, a stylist or if your hair makeup artist working off of a television production, if you're doing like an editorial magazine thing, there's not, any of that, but going to whoever you're, whoever is making that environment toxic for you, which will probably be a leader or some sort, maybe the production company who hired you, um, and having them reiterate exactly what your tasks are supposed to be. Um, even confirming that before you hop on set, you know, just confirm that with them. When you confirm the booking, when you confirm the job, confirm that with whomever is you're assisting or, um, you know, whoever has hired you, uh, it, I know for me, um, as a stylist, I give, I can give a good example of being asked to do things outside of my job for whatever reason, as a stylist, if, especially if you're working on a set where maybe, I mean, I've been on different, several different sets where I think people should know what everyone's job really is, but you'd be surprised. Um, mm-hmm. but I was working on a set, uh, last year and the production company, the producer who hired me on for this, for this photo shoot is asking me, she comes, she asked me in a way as if I should know the answer. So she's like, she's like, um, so where are the props? And I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> she's like, well, we need a basketball. I was like, well, I do wardrobe. <laughs> like, I don't know. Right. I, I, I don't know what a basketball is. <laughs> like, why would I know where the basketball is? But she almost was like acting as if I was incompetent for not having that answer, which was very frustrating. It's also, um, as the key stylist in that role too, I wasn't even the assistant for the key sauce in that role, it's like, then I have to be the person to r- remind them what my job is. <laughs> and like, cause she doesn't know clearly I can't, I can't ask her to, you know, tell me, reiterate what the job functions are. You hired me right. as a wardrobe stylist. There's a prop stylist. That's a person. So I had to tell her what my job was because she clearly didn't know what my job was. She's asking me about props. Clearly she did not, she did not hire a prop stylist, but needed props. And so I had to explain to her, no, that's not what we do. And depending on the temperature in that environment, sometimes that can, um, especially when you're working on sets, the way that you work on sets, how you get rehired has everything to do with how well you get along with people. Um, it's, Sometimes it's a talent thing, but most of it, about 80 to 90% of it is if people like you, you can mm-hmm. always learn the, the skill of styling. You can learn the skill of doing several different things, especially if it's simple things and they just need you to grab a couple of shirts. Like anyone could probably do that. Um, but whether they like you or not, whether they like, whether they like working with you or not is really the question. And so sometimes putting in those boundaries can be scary because you're like, well, I don't know if I'm going to get hired for this again. Um, because I had to tell them, well, I don't buy basketballs with the wardrobe budget. (laughs) It sounds obvious to the everyday person, but you'd be surprised. Um, and even on that same set, the photographer I'm on, I'm doing last looks, which is basically when you go in with the talent, the model, whoever, and make sure the clothing looks right on the person before the photographer begins shooting. Right. Uh, the minute I was doing that, this photographer says, oh, wow, you actually do do a job. I thought that you just played with the clothes all day. And I'm like, uh, okay, so what I'm not going to do is go off on you in the set. 
but I'm just going, I'm just going to go say nothing because, and though, even though for me, that's kind of hard not to respond to something like that. I think for anybody to, to, to insult your work like that, <laughs> um, is hard to take. And you're like, where there isn't a resource particularly for that. Usually it's just kind of, you have to fight through that job, get the job done and just keep moving. And you probably wouldn't want to be hired by that particular production team again anyway. But, um, sometimes it's, yes, you will have in some, you know, environments, you may have the option to bring forth, you know, pre-established handbooks or whatever, but on those freelance jobs like that, there where that's not a thing. Um, it's almost like this attitude, like you just do whatever you're asked to do, especially if you're an assistant, if you're a PA, a production assistant on something that is, um, usually like an unwritten rule. It's like this, uh, it's you do whatever you're asked to do. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, and you better not say no, or you can very easily, very quickly get fired. Um, and the union, even if you're in there out of the union, it doesn't matter. Um, there's loopholes for everything. So, you know, you have to, you, it's a balancing act for sure. Um, but let's, let's move to the next indicator of what do you have one more indicator for us? You know, how to identify a toxic work environment. Yeah. So the next one I would say is um, leadership. So to your point, especially in the fashion industry, um, positions like yours or like, like the one that you described, that happens. That's going to happen. So if you sign up for that, you're aware that that's kind of the, the deal that comes with that particular position. Um, obviously, we're talking about positions that are more clearly defined and that should have more of those, those boundaries. And we're talking potentially like those ones are just like higher up in the PA. Um, mm-hmm. But say you are and you still say you are a PA and you still want to be able to identify what is that toxic environment. Well, another one is the leadership, right? Um, so where the leadership is like either influencing or like allowing and like breeding just toxicity amongst the team. Um, and that is, of course, where things are happening between yourself and other folks on the set or um, things are happening where you're being you know, mistreated by clients or, or whatever the case is. And there's like zero support on how to navigate that situation. Um, that would be very toxic because then you feel like you have no one to go to. And I think that is, again, very clear in the fashion industry. So maybe you can elaborate a bit more on on that specifically. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've been fortunate enough to work on just about every different type of set um, from television to magazines to anything you name it. I've been on the set probably Um, for usually when it comes to um, television and movie productions, usually whomever is the 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 director or your um the your supervisor so if you're in if you're in wardrobe you're gonna have a wardrobe supervisor that wardrobe supervisor is they're not the lead of that department but they uh, the costume designer is actually the lead of your department in terms of actual management of the team members all that stuff so they don't they don't just design the costumes but they also are leading the team members but the costume supervisor is literally just that the supervisor basically. So, um, they're the, the step below the costume designer. Usually that person is the one who's going to kind of set the tone 
it depends on your the production. Every production is different, but usually that, that supervisor is responsible for setting that tone and um, making sure that everyone's taken care of. If, like Brittany is saying, if the um, <laughs> the toxicity is coming from that person, it's a little tough. Um, then you have other you have the lead producers who are going to be those individuals individuals that you should be able to go to. Um, should there be a sexual harassment type situation, which I have absolutely dealt with twice um, on productions? Um, usually, the the producers are the people that you would go to to be your aid. They're supposed to be those people who you can rely on. But like in any environment, there are absolutely tons of politics, especially as a person of color working in these industries. Um, I've worked on shows that are maybe like heavily black when it comes to the cast, but behind the scenes, it's almost the amount of black people are in the show. That's me. White people are in behind the scenes. So sometimes there's that still racial, tons of racial biases that you're going or bias. I don't know that that wasn't the right word. Racial bias. We'll go with, we'll go with bias, racial bias that, um, you're may, that you may still deal with. Um, even if you're working on a show that's on BET, like, um, I've experienced that as well. So, um, again, your producers should be the people that you can go to, um, possibly someone at the union, um, even whether you're in the union or not. However, again, some of it you have to just kind of work through. Um, if it's causing you, I know for me, I've been in situations where it's literally caused me anxiety attacks. And so that was my indicator. Unfortunately, I let it get to that point, but it didn't take very long for one of the productions I've been on. So um, with that said, I kind of had, that was my indicator of like, okay, this is not normal. Um, This is abnormal amount of stress. Um, I've done this role before and on the previous production, it did not cause me this type of stress. If I made a mistake, it may have been brought to my attention in a healthier environment. It was brought to my attention. I had the opportunity to fix it and then move on. Um, in a not in a toxic environment, it's almost like they, it blows out, it gets blown out of proportion, um, usually quickly delegated to someone else, um, you know, or I knew you couldn't do it type of energy. Mm -hmm. Um, I shouldn't have trusted you type of energy, regardless of whether you are talented or untalented, there is, there's like no room for, um, mistakes. And usually to me, I've noticed just that difference between like, okay, this is a toxic environment and this one's just hard, but this one is toxic. Like there's a bit of a difference for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so sorry, I have the, the vent is like, um, like a, okay, good. Cause it's like <laughs> a Western, like, overflow <laughs> wind yeah like a blizzard in here um it's okay so we can't hear put my mic on mute okay good you guys can't hear it no. um <laughs> so absolutely like I think you brought up a perfect point and that, that's the that's again those are the indicators like when your concerns are met with that type of energy from the people up top um you're not in a safe space because you can't go to them about anything and I think I mean, I'm not really sure. I mean, there's lots of theories as to why the American work environment is set designed the way it is. There are some countries in the world that take, you know, three week breaks. Everybody's not working. Everybody's relaxing. Um, even in Spain, for example, everybody goes home on siesta in the middle of the day to relax. I can't imagine. I, mean, I just, <laughs> so, you know, I feel guilty America- anybody. 
like if I try to eat my sandwich in my office and I'm not typing the computer, I feel guilty if somebody walks by. Right. That's um, a problem. And that is, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's so a that's, that's an issue, right? But that comes in, you know, that gets created in your mind. Um, as I'm telling people what toxic work environments are, right? But <laughs> my environment's not toxic. It's just super busy. And that speaks to, again, how easy it is to come into the mindset that you're supposed to always be grinding in order to be productive. And those are not the same thing um, or they're not mutually exclusive anyway. So um, the third indicator of a toxic work environment from my perspective would be an environment that leaves you like physically, mentally exhausted. And that just overall does not align with your personal and or professional values. So are the people treating each other like crap? Um, are, like we said, the leadership isn't there for you. Um, they are expecting you to be available 24 seven and the pay is not 24 seven pay. Um, those kinds of things, you know, are you clear example? The devil was part of things, a perfect example. She was busting her butt. There was one scene that is just so funny to me. The, um, uh, I can't think of her name right now. If you ask me any other moment, I'd know the lady's name. Over Anne Hathaway. The, no, not, no, not the oh. actor. Um, oh, the lady over the magazine. What was her name? Oh, See? oh God. It's, it's exactly. so annoying. Someone, exactly. someone listening right now is like, is like yelling it at the radio at the I know. podcast give me I one know. second miranda Priestley. thank you you're miranda welcome Priestley's office. okay there we go thank yes. you, thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. so um miranda Priestley is on the phone yelling at andy who she kept calling emily to get her a flight back to new york from miami and that was a clear example of one of those situations. She's like, and she literally goes, this is your job. Under no circumstance was it her job to find her a flight in the middle of a tropical storm. Now, granted, they like for the film, they exaggerated it. I certainly hope that there isn't an assistant out there that is getting called at nine o'clock at night to try to find <laughs> your regular face. <laughs> I honestly would not doubt it. Doubt it. Yeah. So but we laughed. We thought the scene was hilarious, but that that's what we're talking about. Like that clearly does not align with your values. That is way beyond what you should be doing and ultimately caused her a level of stress that was undue for, again, the amount that she was getting paid and what her job title was. You know, um, I think we all would agree that there's a certain amount of money that we are okay to get paid. If you want to text me at 3am and have me do something perhaps, or perhaps. you can pay me that amount and still don't text me at 3 a.m. Whichever. That's always <laughs> That would be preferred. That'd preferred, be preferred. But preferred. we're saying, again, to the point, like if this is where we're going, that there needs to be a compensation or a respect that matches it. Um, and again, the, the folks, their behavior within the space just is making you feel icky. Um, and you can tell when those things happen. Always listen to your body. Your body is going to tell you what's going on with you. Um, have your eating habits changed? Have... Um, you lost or gained weight strangely. Um, what is your mood like? What is your mood like towards your significant other or your close friends and family? Because they're the ones that's going to get it because we all know, like you can't go off on the people in your workspace. Um, so you, you know, bring it at home Are personal things in your life that you enjoy being neglected. Right. Um, then 
and is all of that in correlation, like because of your job, obviously, um, then that's where we want to reevaluate the works, the work environment that we're in. Absolutely. I, I, you know, working, um, in Deborah's Prada, (laughs) she definitely was lashing out at friends and, you know, they could tell, you know, that she was having, she was changing. Um, and, but I know for me personally, I can absolutely attest to that. Just, I mean, my personal office at home, but just like the calendars are behind the, everything's just this indicator of nothing about my personal work that I really enjoy is gone. It's getting attention. Um, I, you know, laundry's piling up. I, all I can do is just basically come home try to eat something really quickly and go to bed and then just mm-hmm. start all over again. Working in production in particular is, per, is particularly tough because it's usually 12 hours a day for several months. So, um, and you have early call times, but I mean, you can have early call times with any set, you know, with anything that you're doing, but generally speaking, if you're working freelance and you're doing, you know, just different shoots regularly, you're, you can kind of manage your schedule a bit better, but when you agree to be on a production, it's a lot more demanding. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they do put a lot of pressure on PAs in particular. That's no secret. Um, That's just, I mean, it's just a known thing. Um, And, you know, if, if you're not taking care of yourself properly, it will show. And you, even if you are trying to, but it's just kind of getting snuffed out by your work. Um, yeah, it's time to take a moment to look and say, is this really worth it? I know for, you know, it's hard in the fashion industry. I'm so aware of it. I'm a freelancer myself, so I absolutely get it. Um, you know, it's like, you just kind of have to take jobs. You can like, sometimes, especially at certain parts of your career, or maybe just certain seasons, you don't really have the power of no. So you may just have to take that job, you know, that you really hate, but it's money and you just kind of have to take it. Um, but at the same time, it's like, okay, is there an out? Is there some other type of networking you can be doing to get on some other type of production um, or leave that particular, like, okay, I don't want to work with this production company again. To, I don't want them hiring me again for any shoots. Mm-hmm. I don't care what it, I don't care if I'm styling Beyonce. I'm not, maybe if I'm styling Beyonce, but I'm not right, agreeing right, right, to right. any other, <laughs> I'm not agreeing to any, um, anything, you know, it, that they asked me to do. Um, sometimes you kind of just have to, for me personally, faith is a big part of my life. So you just kind of have to have that faith that I'm going to say no and let God just bring the next thing to me. Why trying to control everything will mess you up. Trying to control your career um, as a freelancer will mess you up and it, it will cause just even it will compound the anxiety on top of the toxic work environment that you might be in. So, um, so yeah, I'm glad we, I'm glad we um, went through those, those indicators. Um, let's move to the next thing. So now that we know what a toxic work environment is. Uh, we've, we pretty much, you know, really opened that up. How do you know whether or not you should stay or leave? Okay. Um, so to recap, lack of boundaries and job title, mm-hmm. leadership is trash or mm-hmm. in a more professional manner, you know, mm-hmm. leadership is unavailable. They are, um, you know, engaging in the issues. You can't mm-hmm. rely on them, etc. And then um, third, it's not, the environment does not align with your personal or professional values and it's leaving you, you know, having a lot of um, adverse reactions, physical, mental, family, et cetera. Mm-hmm. 
So when, I mean, it's hard to tell because sometimes it's like, well, it's one thing. So I guess that's okay. Obviously you want to start strategizing and exit when it's all three Um, or the one that's most important to you, you know, do you thrive on the grind of hustle and bustle? And yeah, I'm down to do whatever. That's fine. Cool. Like that's how your life operates. Feel like that's totally fine. Don't walk away, listen to this and go, Oh my gosh, my environment's toxic. Cause that, you know, it's like, well, is it, does this, does those three things that we just described, like really have an issue with you? Do they really harm you? You know? Um, or is it one thing in particular that you just ultimately won't stand for? And, and that is the thing that, that you really want to listen to. Um, so you would want to try to navigate and exit when you recognize those three things or anything that is just not sitting right with you when you know that you don't have to. Absolutely. Um, I think that's perfect answer. Perfect answer. So, uh, what are, if you are planning to exit, what are three strategies for navigating that? Oh, excuse me. Actually, if you're planning to stay, excuse me, if you're planning to stay, what are three strategies that you can use to navigate the environment, you know, now that you're deciding to stay? Right. Um, if you're going to stay, obviously it's just, um, making sure each day that, that you are comfortable with what's going on. And if you aren't that, you know, the right person to communicate with about how to help or resolve the issue. Um, are you a type of person that can communicate with your team members? Is your team a pretty cool team? And you can tell like, Hey girl, um, I don't mind helping you on X, Y, and Z, but if I need something, are you there? You know, just however you want to phrase it or whether, whatever the case is, um, you know, again, if it's the leadership, like I mentioned before, just going back to whatever you can that can help you articulate what you feel like your role is supposed to be or ask for clarity so that there's record that they have given you that clarity. Um, so yeah, those are the, the main things I would, I would say. It's just, if you're going to work anywhere, you'd want to maintain professionalism, of course, and um, be the best team player you can until the environment just isn't conducive for that. Absolutely. I, um, I'll add to that and just say, if you are working in toxic work environment that you are choosing to stay in, and I've been in some where I didn't feel like I had a choice, like I said earlier, didn't have that power of no, especially when I was a lot younger and had a lot less support. You know, now that now I have a husband, and it's a, I have a little more support, um, well, a lot more support, really. But uh, especially early on when I was just kind of taking jobs where I could get them um, or, you know, working in toxic corporate environments. Um, maintain that professionalism is everything because I've been in the, my very first job was in corporate retail uh, for a major retailer. And it was the most toxic work environment I've ever been in. Um, and it messed me up for a little whole, a little while, but it did, I did learn a lot about myself and how I react to uh, stressful situations and, and what I need to do to fuel, fuel myself so that I can do what I need to do to make this check. I can keep this good light on and this good car filled with gas and so on and so forth, live my life. So mm-hmm. um, in that environment, I stayed in, I stayed there for two, a little over two years. I stayed there for a little over two years um, where to the, till they fired me, <laughs> basically, I probably would still be there if they hadn't, who knows. Um, but I was, I was wrongfully terminated from that job. Um, 
But uh, in that two year span, I was constantly um, what I would call baited. So basically, they would say things to try to get interaction out of me or um, they would uh, even if I didn't make a mistake or they thought I made a mistake or even if I really did make a mistake, they would um, literally like email several people that didn't need to be on this email that weren't even associated with the situation to begin with just to embarrass me. Um, I forgot about CCing the randoms on those emails. Why do we need you don't need the CEO of this company and our from our department to know about this one small thing that's not going to affect their life whatsoever. Um, but some people, they just, they really get a rise out of that. Um, something that God told me at that time that always set with me was that people can't put you in a hell that they aren't already in. So one day I was on a real struggle bus <laughs> there and, uh, I just had to get up from my desk and just take a walk. And, um, that healer just dropped that on my, in, in my, in my mind as I was getting, cause I was wondering like, what is wrong with these people? Like, right. good grief, like, it's, it's just now it's just, it's just, it's just crazy. Um, and, uh, and I realized like anyone who creates a toxic environment is literally hemorrhaging toxicity. So that's all that's in them most likely. And it's, especially if you're an assistant role, especially if you're a person of color, especially if there's anything that they can find to, uh, find somebody to disenfranchise you, you know, um, (laughs) (laughs) they're going to do it, you know, if if love to marginalize anybody. different than who they are exactly it doesn't matter what it is if it it can be a gamut of things anything that they think can make them feel better about themselves they may just pull that out um and you can tell they're just grasping at straws just anything uh that's that was a mindset that helped me stay at bay and so then i started to kind of pray for them like for their healing and like for their health and that took a really long time for me to get there. And I was doing it with my teeth grinding together, but nonetheless, the prayer was coming out. Um, but regardless, above, beyond the, beyond that spiritual side, the more, the more like tangible things I was doing at work was when I noticed that was a bait, I stayed quiet. Mm-hmm. I didn't respond immediately. I took a beat. Me and my, me and my friend, uh, Nadja always say this. We take a beat, um, take a moment and think about what you're about to say. And that's uh, literally a song. It's a song. Take a beat <laughs> or take. It's like, wait, think before you say or something like, yeah, that's real. That's it will save you lots of things because I knew that they were looking for an. I think they were just looking for an excuse to fire me prematurely. Like just, oh, she's rude or she has an attitude. And especially as a black woman, being the only black woman in my department of like 150 people. You know, the angry black woman thing, they're waiting for me to do that. They're like waiting for me to blow up. And I was not about to do that. Um, and, you know, the, my shower in the morning got a whole earful. You know, the walls, I mean, they got it all. Poor walls. They didn't deserve it, but they did. You know, that's where I got to let it out a little bit. But while I was there, um, I made sure that I didn't respond. And if I did respond, I was very, it was always something that was based in fact and truth. And mm-hmm. so they could never, de- they could never deny it. They can never like shoot it down unless they had to like lie. Um, it was, uh, everything was very poignant and quick to the point. And I did respond. Um, if there is an email, like the situation I mentioned earlier, where I was just being, you know, uh, put in the middle of the, like literally ostracized basically through email, yeah. digital ostr- ostracizing. Um, like if, if it's in that, in that type of situation, um, I made sure that all those people were CC'd when I made my response and saying, um, A, B, and C is the situation. So 
cool. All y'all on here, fine. So all y'all gonna get the rest of everything that's gonna be on here too. Mm -hmm. Okay. And sure. Now we're inviting 30 people to this conversation. Fantastic. So here's the deal. (laughs) So at least there's a paper trail and those 30 people are going to see, um, well, she said this, I don't think it's what you thought it was or whatever. They can have their own opinions. Um, I also kept a paper trail speaking of paper trail, I actually printed out everything. So, um, emails that were evidence of toxic situations or, or, you know, um, some sort of abuse, uh, ostracizing all that stuff. I printed all those things out. It's a lot of work, honestly. Um, but I would, I kept, I had this very thick binder full of, um, accolades that I had received from maybe other team members that were nice to me, (laughs) um, or just anything that had went well, um, anything that I worked on that, um, you know, was moving the company forward, um, any new suggestions I had made, any, everything I was keeping track of on paper. So when it came time to them fire me, it didn't, they didn't want to hear it, but, um, we did wind up have, I did wind up having a coworker who wound up suing the company. And subsequently I was on that and was able to receive a settlement from that. And that paper trail really helped with that at that time, because I was able to show the abuse that happened over time and be compensated for that. So, um, I do think it's still worth keeping a paper trail of anything that's going on. Um, and if the HR in this particular situation, the HR was also, um, kind of in cahoots, so to speak with the rest of the people, they were, um, working together. Um, anything that you was, I had a coworker who submitted something anonymously and they literally said the per his name and back to him, um, <laughs> supposed to be anonymous, but the, it's just, just how crazy it was there. You didn't have protection pretty much anywhere. And this was a corporate company. So even their rule rule books, they didn't care. Um, they just didn't care. But if in a more normal environment, if your particular team is toxic and then there's an HR, you should be able to go to that HR and give that paper trail and they should be someone that's partial and you can list those things too, um, to kind of help you. But I ran into lots of crazy stuff, but at the end of the day, keeping a paper trail, um, taking a moment to respond, keeping in mind that whoever is bringing this toxicity into this environment, whether it's a production, whether it's a photo set, um, whether I'm assisting somebody or I'm the key, whether it's the product, whether it's the producer, the photographer, whomever is being toxic, they are a toxic person. Like that's in their blood at that point. Um, if it's oozing out like that on their, on their work, on their work set, they're literally bringing that to work. It's at home for them. It's in their car for them. It is their way of life at that point. It's in the store. It's, it's following them around. And there's almost like a certain type of level of, um, of pity you can almost have for them. Like you come you can also kind of feel sorry for them in a way and changing that mindset. to looking at them as like, wow, I kind of feel, actually feel sorry for you. Um, can help a little bit, just that mindset shift, help you work through it because you're almost like, you know, here you go. Here's the paper. Oh my goodness, man. I really feel bad for you. Like you can mm-hmm. almost kind of, sometimes it's a little sarcasm behind it, but regardless, whatever you have to do, a lot of sarcasm, a lot of sarcasm sometimes, but I mean, it, there was a certain point I did get to where, although I was very, very angry, I did get to a point where I was like, Oh, this, this is like, y'all are sick. Like you're actually like you're ill and okay. Noted. <laughs> you're, or you're grieving. I've been in situations like that, or you're, you're in a grieving stage. You probably shouldn't be working, but you're here. Okay. That no, it didn't make any better entirely, but my mindset, at least I was able to handle myself better 
Um, and then someone always notices that you're doing the right thing. Um, there's always gonna be someone noticing that even and including the person that's the toxic person. So when it comes to our freelancers and you're worried about getting jobs and maintaining a certain rapport, if, if that person's toxic, they're going to be toxic at some other set too. So they're going to know that <laughs> they're going to run to someone else. You, and they're going to, they're going to hit the wrong person. Don't worry about it. You will get your jobs. You'll be fine. Like work through that job and go on to the next one and don't let it taint you when you go into the next one. It's a fresh slate. It probably is a fresh set of people, you know, keep, um, keep that, keep that in mind and keep, keep your boundaries in place and, and communicate them. Yeah. So, um, so my thought, so my, I guess, response to that is, I guess the next part of, of what we want to do, which is like planning for exit. Um, you brought up a lot of great examples of different ways that things can look toxic, why you find yourself in that type of environment. And I think it speaks to one other point that's super important too, is like those kinds of people, unless you work like on a Zen farm, <laughs> you're likely to run into people like that anywhere. Like there's going to be someone that has something going on. Very true. Um, you like Zen farm. Yes. Cause uh, I never heard that term before. <laughs> yeah. I was just trying to think of like literally the place, like nobody's having drama on a Zen, Zen, Zen farm. farm. <laughs> Real quick, Zen I'm sorry. farm is, <laughs> I picture it to be like, um, a space just out in the middle of wherever there's perfect weather, um, beautiful thick green grass, yoga, you know, we're mat. drinking cucumber water. <laughs> there's the ocean nearby for some reason. Must be nearby. Linen pants. <laughs> the whole thing. Kabbalah bracelets, just like all, all the things. <laughs> all the things. Okay. All the things, and there's literally <laughs> no reason for anyone to be upset ever. Um, I love it. Thank you for defining them for. Yeah, I even like. I even feel calm imagining this place. I you did calm quite like the way you were saying right. it. I mean, linen right. pants. <laughs> I mean, this sounds like a dream. <laughs> and it's in farm because I don't even find. Yeah, so. Basically, so I bring that up to say, like, unless you're in a place that's like specific where everybody's thought and goal is like to keep the Zen and like be, you know, just carefree, somebody's going to come to work with stuff, which is why they try to say, like, leave it at the door. But that's impossible. We spend, uh, honestly, Americans spend over half of their life in workspaces um, or with work people or married to the person that they work with. I mean, blah, blah, blah. So production um, is way more than half your life because 12 hours a day. It's that's, I mean, that's like you're, it's more than half your life. Yes. Um, And so with that, you're always going to, to be in a space where there's somebody that is just kind of a little off the wall. Um, So again, if, if you have in mind, even as you're starting out your work or you want to spend time now that you've been in a career for a while and kind of reevaluate what are your values and for an environment as a whole, again, you know, what are some things that you're just, that you aren't going to be able to, to take care of? Um, just making very clear that a toxic environment doesn't mean that there's somebody there that just irritates you 
right or that or there's the one mean person it's is the the space designed entirely to do that to target you or to target people and and things like that um so last thing i want to bring up are some strategies for navigating how to leave a space like that um once you've identified that this is a toxic environment as a whole for either those three reasons or just things you've come up with in terms of what you think toxicity is for you. Um, So one of the first ones is plan and identify like a goal for the end. And so what I mean by that is, I think I said it earlier, like we get excited because we know we want a career in whatever type of field and it kind of stops there. Um, But we should always keep evolving in our professionalism if you're working in your like passion career. Um, and if you aren't, um, finding space in the job that you have now and in the life that you have now to get you to what that would be. Um, so that's even more important for a toxic environment. Um, so once you have that kind of end goal in mind as to like where it is, you'd want to end up, um, create a plan on how to get there. Um, you want to do the next thing, which is networking. I think we should always be networking, even if we're in a job that we love, because we never know when another door is going to open up. Um, I know that anybody listening to this podcast, I'm sure has heard it before, the days of getting hired in 1978 and not leaving until 1995 is just not a thing anymore. Um, You know, we there are so many different jobs out there that exist, so many different ways to expand within a field. Um, that you want to see that that growth and development. Um, or let me rephrase, I'm not going to tell someone that they want to see that. Some people want to retire in the same position and that is perfectly fine if that is what Absolutely. your end goal is. Um, I think for our generation of people, it is a bit more expanded than that. Um, so to that point, creating a plan, you know, five or, or six year plan. I will start here. In a couple of years, I like to see myself doing X, Y, and Z and letting that position then help you to evolve, to realize, well, what's next, you know, um, networking helps other people to, to be around you and kind of see things that you're good at that you probably wouldn't even know that, that you were good at. Right. Um, I worked, like I mentioned earlier in a middle school for years, they posted a position. They were opening a new high school for a lead counselor of a high school and, I'd never worked in a high school. And I thought that sounds like a great idea. (laughs) And fortunately there were people around that saw traits in me that it kind of reinforced my leader mindset in the setting that I was in that allowed me to apply for a position that I hadn't done ever, except for on the middle school level, but I was reinforced with, but Brittany, you know, you have the skills of doing X, Y, and Z. You could tell, like, I remember even telling my coworkers, like, I don't know how I'll get this job. Like, how could I lead? high school like you know people like pretty oh my gosh like you would be great turns out I am pretty great (laughs) um (laughs) but but I was able to do that because in the space that I'd worked space I'd been working in people from the county office would ask me to do certain things or put me in a spot to present to do something or would any chance they had they were raving about me to whoever um so when you are networking, when you're constantly showing your professionalism, there are people that are watching that's always looking for a fresh face to do something. So you definitely want to do that. And then um, the last thing is remain professional in your exit plan. 
Um, sometimes to your point, Jessica, people can like work for years to just try to pull you outside of your character. And that in itself is a strain that in itself can feel toxic. Um, but the reason why you've got to stay in that professional space as much as possible is because when you transition or when you get ready to go on, you're not allowing any opportunity for that previous job or those previous leaders to say anything other than you are professional. Yep. Um, because what you don't want is for your behavior to proceed or super precede you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Precede you. Um, that happened to a coworker of mine. It was very, she had, she worked with me at the middle school. She was great. She did a great job at her job, but sometimes she could be, um, a little like Hattie or whatever the case is. Granted, I feel like she was put in a very strange situation towards the end after she had to said that she wanted to move on. Um, and from what I gather made some things pretty difficult for folks when she left. And so she then applied to work with the high school that I work at. And unfortunately the leader of my other school where she needed the reference said that when, cause they're, they're going to ask you, would you hire this person again? And that person had to say no, um, because of, you know, how she left things. Um, and again, I'm speaking that peripherally. I don't know the, all of the details of it, but I know enough to know that that is what you just don't want to have happen, no matter how strenuous the situation. I do believe that the leader was causing some issue for the person, which is why they wanted to transition out. Um, But you have got to always keep your reputation, your professional reputation as clean as possible. Um, Especially, I think you brought it up earlier, the angry black girl, um, or even for any of our Caucasian or Hispanic listeners, there are all types of um, stereotypes that go along with women in general. Absolutely. For being women and speaking up in spaces. Uh, so you definitely just want to make sure that you are always maintaining that. So no one can make up anything about you. They're going to speak anything. that's going to be fact. Right. Well, I so. didn't like her, but she was professional. Like, exactly. Yeah. This one, you know, that they, you know, that when they ask you, what did they, did they meet deadlines? Yes. <laughs> you know, did they work with other people? Yes. <laughs> Did yep. she show up every day? Yes. Like they just have yep. like that's all they can say. They can't yeah. say anything <laughs> else. You know, they well, one time I think she was stro- strolling in at like 1030. What date was that? That was such and such date. Well, I have here that she had a doctor's appointment. Yes. <laughs> you know, like you just, yep. you just can't, you can't make it up. So you just always want to make sure again, that you have that plan, that exit plan. Um, even if it's an environment that you love, you know, you again, just, how can you continue to, that was Phoenix. <laughs> um, how can you continue to, to move on or go forward networking so that people know your name, people know who you are. They're going to pull you in, in spaces you want to shine. Um, and then lastly, of course, just remaining professional. Yeah. Um, Brittany's mentioning Phoenix, my nephew, her, her new son, he's one, he just turned one and he's having a ball wherever he is in the house. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's downstairs playing with something. <laughs> it's fun. Whatever it is, it's fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, I want to just, uh, you said all that perfectly, just, um, make sure that we really tie this in with, uh, working in fashion. Um, there has never been a job I've gotten that wasn't a referral. Not one. Doesn't matter what type of job it was, um, and that is 
it's like, I suppose that's true just about in any, um, industry, but when it comes to the fashion industry, especially with freelance roles, it's not like you're going to find these job lists on LinkedIn or Glassdoor. Um, a lot of the jobs that you probably really want are the ones that are going to be all referral based because people want to work with who they like. And if you're working on a set for 12 hours, you're not about to be on there with somebody. If you can choose the people that you're going to work with, <laughs> you're going to choose people, choose people that you like. I mean, you would do the same. So no matter who you are, so it's really no different. It's not even anything personal. It's just, well, it's personal, I guess it is personal, but it's like, generally speaking, it's really more like about whether they enjoy working with you. And I've been complimented before, like, man, that was really tough, but you did a good job. You responded really well. Like I've had people tell me that, you know, uh, or, um, you know, if there's, and this maybe this is one, just one time I'm working on this particular production or set or whatever. Um, and maybe there's not like, you know, there's not a ladder, a ladder move to make, you know, it's just kind of like, well, maybe I hope I get hired by them again, kind of thing. It's really what you're usually left with. Um, the impression you've left there, you know, having, I talk about this, um, a lot, especially for my assistants, um, you know, I talk about this on the YouTube channel for, uh, especially assisting etiquette, you know, have a sense of urgency, always be willing to help, always be thinking about what will make this set move more efficiently. That's your, oh, yeah. that's how you work. If you work like that, no matter who is being crazy, you keep your eye on that. Even if it's that person, even the, the crazy person's person you have to assist, they cannot say that you didn't have them, that clo- those clothing, that those shoes prepped when it was time to get changed into them. They cannot that's say right. that the stuff was not steamed when they walked in or not steamed before the, before the shooting started. They cannot say that you weren't keeping the wardrobe area clean and being organized. Mm-hmm. Of course, I'm just speaking from a wardrobe perspective, but if you're a hair makeup artist, if you are assisting a photographer, if you're whatever you are doing, your job, especially when it comes to assisting, because that's when it's the most fragile for people. It's when um, you tend to, if you're, if you're in the more key level, sometimes you're not dealing with the toxicity in the, at least not in the same way. Um, and maybe you don't feel as vulnerable and, you know, you have a little bit more of a, you can be a little bit more choosy about the jobs you take. Um, so that's why I'm just putting so much emphasis on the assistance. But, um, you know, if you just focus, if you hyper-focus on getting that job done, you can really just stay quiet the whole time. You don't have to speak to everybody, you know, not everybody's I've been on sets that just weren't great. Um, people just weren't really friendly and it's like, okay, well, this is one of those sets. I'm just going to be quiet and just get the job done. Fine. Um, you know, on, and also just not being, uh, you know, trying to be buddy, buddy with everybody always is not necessary. You know, you can be absolutely kind to people, you know, you can make, and you may make very organic connections with people. Um, but try to stay off your phone. Like don't just be chill on your phone. There's always something to do. Like you keep that. No one can say a bad thing about you. It will have to be something like, I just don't like her. Like it would have, they would have to admit to themselves, like, no, she was really great to work with. This is my problem. Like they have, they would have to sink back to that. It was going to bounce back to them every time. So, you know, if you can really pretty much stay in a safe space and they might even rehire you, even if you thought this was a toxic work environment, even if you thought this was ridiculous, they might come back to you because you're the, you're that one assistant or that one person who's like, just always got the job done. And it's like, at the end of the day, in any work environment, in any industry, people just really want to get the job done. That's never going to change wherever you work, wherever industry you're in. So if you're just there to get the job done, even if, even if like I've experienced, if they want to firing you regardless, you still got the, you still got up every morning, hang them in there and got the job done. 
regardless. And that can never not, that can never, they can never say anything different unless they absolutely just have to lie. So, um, you know, you can't control what people say about you. You can't control anything but you. So knowing that, do that, control you, (laughs) take your beats, you know, when you, before you respond, like I said, be hyper-focused on getting that job done. Um, get that check and go on about your business. That's all you need to do. That's all you need to do on the basic level of anything that you're working on. Um, is there anything else you want to add to anything that you were mentioning before with exit strategies, the indicators, anything like that before we wrap up? No, I, I think that's it. Um, I think you've done a great job of bringing the perspective of course, you know, cause you're this house, but making sure that you're able to tie those points together with that. Um, Absolutely not. I mean, I guess, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Above all else, whatever you're doing, just always like checking in with yourself and making sure that it's aligning, aligning with your values. Cause it's going to feel not right. Even if everybody is nice, Absolutely. you know, even if there isn't any drama. So just always make sure that what you're doing is aligning with your values. And if it isn't, like reevaluating is there something that you need to do differently? And then if that's not the case, then how do I need to transition to something that does? Because um, sometimes it just comes right down to that. And then it's like, well, what are those values? Um, when I finished one of the internships I did in graduate school, um, they threw like a little party for me or whatever, because I was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but, <laughs> but one of the ladies said, she said, you know, as you go forward, write down what your values are and make sure that you stick with those. Make sure that those values, that you find those in your workspace, in your personal life, um, and you won't ever really have you know, any issues going forward. So um, my hope is that after you guys listen to this, that you have had a chance to kind of reflect on some of the things that we said, reflect on your work environment and maybe like envision the work environment that is um, most ideal to you. And how can you create that? Um, How can you create some of those things? One of my coworkers, um, she's super sweet. She made this little like coffee and tea set thing in the main workroom. you know, just something like a little, like, and she made a little sign that says, fill your cup. Oh, you know, because that means, Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, so just, um, identifying what your values are. Um, like I said earlier too, also identifying where you want your end goal to be and strategizing to always get there. Um, so I know that was a lot for someone who said they didn't have anything else to say. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) No, you're, you're like all of this absolute truth. I'm glad we had this conversation. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely prayerful that whoever's listening to this um, needs it, needed it, or at least can give it to someone else who might need it. Uh, um, those that value the having those values intact is so important. And then one thing I will mention, I didn't get to mention, I didn't touch on before having those long term goals, even if you're a freelancer is so important um, because freelance life is so it's so different from a traditional kind of corporate life or you know, even if you're a doctor, so to speak, like there's no, there's no ladder type of thing. It's really just kind of free flowing. So it's sometimes it's, you can kind of get lost in just doing several different jobs and not have an end goal for yourself. So always be thinking bigger. Um, you know, I think big all the time. I'm I, yes, I'm a freelance stylist, but I also have a company and I'm working on 
We're working on building an app. We're working on building a studio. We're doing several different things that I feel like can benefit the fashion industry at large, um, where I can just sit back and not have to grind it out on set uh, for the rest of my life. So, you know, you can always be thinking of things that even if it's outside the fashion industry, but regardless, use your craft and figure out how to multiply that thing. How can you take one piece of that and create something else? You know, you can, the possibilities are endless. And if you're a freelancer working in the fashion industry, most likely you're extremely creative anyway. So Mm -hmm. you can be creative in deciding what your career really looks like as well. Um, So Brittany, this was such a great conversation. I really appreciate you truly being here today. Um, I really, really love our conversation. Um, Before we wrap up, yeah, of course. Um, Before we wrap up, uh, I want to touch on two things. Um, we have our lightning round we're going to do, but right before that, I want to, uh, if you can just kind of point people, let people know when is it a good time to get therapy? Um, when you're in this toxic work environment, we didn't touch on that. When is it yeah. time to get therapy right now? Hey, anytime. 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 Yeah. So um, the the idea around therapy has evolved even since I graduated, um, finished grad school in 2014. Back then, even still, it was still like very like hush hush kind of and like get therapy when like you need it and you're like losing your mind on people. Um, but I feel like probably since maybe 2018 or so, and then especially since the year that I don't even want to say out loud. Well, I'll say it because my son was born in that year. And so that makes it the best year. Um, (laughs) But 2020, I mean, my God, right. So it just brought to light so many things you, everybody knows, everybody gets it. We don't have to go down the road, but um, therapy is mental health maintenance. It's mental health. We go to the eye doctor, we go to the dentist and we go to our physician. Um, and we go for the physical, even if there isn't, you know, anything wrong. I think we've been trained to believe that you've got to be, you know, barking at dogs and licking on parking meters to (laughs) see a therapist. (laughs) Um, and you don't, you really, you really don't. If you're there, it's probably like, it's been going on for a minute now. (laughs) Right. If you, if you are that person, then you, you are receiving the level of care that ideally that you need, which is much more intensive than, um, than talking to a therapist, you know, once a week or once a month. Um, so yeah, you, there's neat websites. Um, one of the websites that I really like that I'm most familiar with is psychologytoday.com. Um, it's pretty much like, Facebook for therapists or for people looking for a therapist, you can search therapist by zip code, by insurance type, by gender, um, by topic, age, whatever. Um, it has their profile picture, a brief bio. Um, and then it lists what they, you know, what type of clients they serve, the insurance, they take the cost. You can email them directly through that website. You can give them a call. I would say almost every therapist does like a free telephone consultation. I know I do. Um, and then we get you on the calendar. We, you know, figure out what's going on. And I think it's good because you can kind of skim through. Um, I know some folks probably not so much in the fashion industry probably isn't a thing, but I know most, some other people that probably work in like more corporate spaces have what's called EAP, um, which is, um, I forget the, uh, acronym right off gate, but essentially it's, you know, your job will, 
uh, pay for, I think, three or five sessions for you, um, which is really neat. That kind of helps people get started. Um, but when you go through there, I don't think you pick who your therapist is. I think you call the company and they kind of find one for you. So long story short, it's kind of you taking control of, of who you look for. Also too, if you told your physician that you were going through some things, they'd probably refer you to someone in their offices. So again, you kind of lose that, that contact. Um, and also, and therapists are really cool too. You know, you can talk with a therapist, move them for a little bit, and then realize that maybe they aren't the best fit for you and want to work with someone else. And that's totally fine. Um, but using psychology today helps you to kind of get a feel for them from what they look like, which is very important um, because they make their picture to show who they are intentionally. So it's not like you're judging them. It's like, okay, you know, that person has a picture with their dog. Cool. I love dogs. Or I don't really do dogs. So I'm going to look for another picture, you know, so, um, but yeah, the right time is today. Thank you for saying that. And no pun intended to psychology today. Psychology today. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and psychology I, today too. Sorry. Psychology today is right. also really cool too, because there are articles and stuff that you can get on there and read, um, for, you know, clients and people that are, are not in therapy too. So. Awesome. I'm glad you mentioned that. I also will mention that there are different types of insurance for freelancers. Um, and depending on your coverage, of course, yeah, you, it may cover uh, mental health, anything. So mental health care, period, um, regardless of what that is. So, um, And even also different types of physical therapy because we're on our feet so much, um, especially if you live in a city Ooh. like New York. Um, you know, chiropractors, podiatrists are um, something that a lot of freelancers, especially again, like those working in New York, um, that will go to because of the fact that our, our physical body takes such a toll when it comes to working. So, um, just keep that in mind. Um, that's really good to know. Yeah. Um, and also to don't try not to let insurance deter you from working with a therapist. Um, because when you look at it, you'll see they have the like out of network cost, which can seem a lot for a session. Um, you know, we're talking like 130, some people in other more popular areas, especially like LA probably charging 230 an hour for a session. Um, and my thought would be if you looked at that and thought, gosh, that's too much, you know, um, you can always, you know, let them know, like, I don't, I don't have the insurance that you have, but I'd really love to work with you. Um, if you're willing to commit, you know, um, a few sessions or, or saying that, you know, you'll come consistently for a period of time. Um, the therapist would likely offer like a sliding scale, which would be a portion of that full cost. Nice. Um, but again, sometimes that could be also more than what your, I guess, $25 copay would be. But again, if we're talking to freelancers, you know why you charge the amount that you do, you know, the work that you're giving is excellent work. Um, and just kind of having that in mind too, about, about your mental health, um, mental health is more for you. It's meant to be just sitting and like getting things out and you walk away feeling relaxed or whatever the case is, that is the point, but it is quite a bit of work on the therapist's end. Um, so that price or the cost that they um, have per session is intentional and not just to, you know, gouge you. And if you did feel like that you really weren't getting what you needed, then you, you know, transition to another therapist. Good to know, Brittany. Thank you for mentioning all of that, um, especially the options outside of having insurance, because a lot of, I know a lot of freelancers, they're using out there who do not have insurance. Yeah. Um, so um, there's definitely still options for you. Let's get into our uh, lightning round and okay. we'll sign off. 
So uh, as you know, our slogan is style well, live well, be brave. So for style well, tell me one thing in your closet that you just absolutely cannot live without. Leopard and dark jeans. Leopard and dark jeans. Okay, nice. Uh, for that, yeah, that works in any season too. Mm-hmm. That's um, right. <laughs> and then for live well, what is a routine or regimen that you do that keeps you feeling healthy, whether that be physically, mentally, or spiritually? I well, you brought all the different examples. Um, physically, I would say. This might sound silly, or just like everybody does it, but like washing my face hey, and yeah. taking <laughs> a shower. Um, washing my face is my favorite part of the shower. I leave it for last. I just really, totally I true. love, yeah, <laughs> I just love the feeling of of the clean face. It feels like I have washed the day when I've gotten when I've done that. Mm-hmm. I don't wear like a ton of makeup at all. I have like concealer and like foundation. That's like pretty much it. But. Um, I just really love the feeling of just washing my face clean. Um, spiritually, I would say um, praying at night and in the mornings, also in the shower. I thank God for waking me up and for um, a career in my field. And I pray that he speaks through me when I'm talking to my students and clients. Um, and always at night, I rock Phoenix to sleep, which is like just that is something for your spirit and soul. I will tell you. Um, what was the other one? You said physical, spiritual? it can be it's physical, mental, and spiritual. So okay. was the last one. Right, right, right. So mental, um, just listening to a particular like playlist or something on the way to or from work. I always have music playing in the car that whatever I'm listening to at that time, sometimes it's like the same 10 songs or whatever. Cause you know, <laughs> um, but music is a thing that really, um, just like feeds my mind and and body. And I I love listening to music. So, um, yeah, I love that. And then the last one is be brave. And so that would just be something past, present or future that you have done or are doing that requires just a little bit extra faith or free to kind of do afraid and requiring some bravery from you. Yeah. Um, I think the most recent thing, this is a future thing. Um, I mean, I've done so many things, but they didn't, they didn't really necessarily seem brave in the moment. They were just like, yeah, I'm excited to do it. Like, it's never been like, oh, that's, oh, that's great. You know, I'm like, yeah, of course, you know, this is awesome. <laughs> um, super fun. But I think I, um, though I love the work of school counseling, I am going, getting closer to making a serious transition into um, mental health strictly full-time. So that will be very different um, and scary because it's strictly commission-based work, like, you know, the work that that you do and lots of people in the fashion industry. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to require transitioning from the work of school counseling, which I find to be very important. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll stay tuned. That's something. It takes a lot of bravery, especially, I mean, that's just, I know a lot of people ask about that transition from corporate to doing something more freelance. And that's very similar to that. So um, that's a whole nother conversation, but nonetheless takes a ton of bravery. So thank you for sharing. Um, Brittany, again, thank you so much for being here today. Can you let everyone know where they can find you? Um, If if you're available for sessions, where um, can they book you? 
Right. So um, I can be found on psychologytoday.com. My name is Brittany Vanterpool. Um, if you are outside of North Carolina right now, um, I am uncertain of our ability to work together, quite honestly, at this point. Um, I'll say that for a couple of reasons here in a moment. Um, if, but if you are in North Carolina, um, you're welcome to send me a message. I am on hold with accepting new clients right now because I am completely full, hence the concept of potentially going full time. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely looking to be able to start seeing clients um, in January, February at the latest, and those new clients. Um, again, if you are outside of North Carolina, the reason why um, I'm unsure of our ability to work together quite yet is right now, because of COVID since March of 2020, most insurances or all insurance companies rather have been reimbursing for what's called telehealth, which is um, video sessions. And that can be done state to state. And so if you live in another state, then obviously, you know, we could um, host our sessions. But the reason why that's on hold is because um, I've not yet received word from insurance companies on how much longer they're planning to extend that. Um, And so if that's the case, then um, there's a lot more steps that go into providing telehealth across state lines with the particular license that I have, or just license that any therapist has, honestly. Um, so I wouldn't want to say, oh, you're in California. We can definitely start working together because I'm not sure if that will always be the case. Um, but aside from working together, I also have, um, an Instagram page, which is Brittany Vanterpool underscore, um, L C H or L C M H C. Sorry, we changed our acronyms not long ago, so it's longer than normal, but licensed clinical mental health counselor. So Brittany Vanterpool underscore those acronyms, those letters. We can, we'll put that in the description of the podcast too. So people can, <laughs> no worries. <laughs> As promised, yes, Brittany's Instagram handle is in the description below. Um, but I hope that you all truly enjoy this episode. Um, and no matter what industry you're working in, that you found something that was super applicable to you. Um, thank you for letting me share my personal experiences with you. I'm hoping that was encouraging for you. You are not alone if you are experiencing those things. You're not alone over here at Brave Mode Studios. We truly care about the live well aspect of our mantra here at Brave Mode. And, you know, I'm glad and I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that we got to, you know, give you a little dose of living well today and taking care of yourself while you are pursuing your career goals. As I mentioned, y'all, this is the last episode of season one, but stay tuned for season two coming in the spring of 2022 uh, as we'll be talking to more super brilliant and super inspiring guests. But until then, you know what to do. Before we do it, though, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel at Brave Mode Studios. Follow us on Instagram at Brave Mode. And until then, style well, live well, be brave. Peace.